This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. The term first ascent is often reserved for the uh, kayaking, skiing, snowboarding crowd to credit the first brave soul willing to attempt a harrowing waterfall or a, a skinny coulard. But the world of fly fishing adventure travel comes with an inherent pucker factor as well, and somebody's got to go first. My guest today certainly has a number of first ascents beneath his belt, and we're thrilled that he has agreed to join us on the show. Will Blair, welcome to the February Room. Hi, Justin. It's great to be here. It's been a long time, man. It's good to talk to you. You too, man. Really good to catch up. Um, you know, asking a person like you if you have any fly fishing adventure stories is kind of like asking a ranch hand if he has any calluses. So please uh, fire away. Yeah, I was, and you know, I actually am working on a book about Kamchatka and and this, uh, and I have a lot of stories going right now. But you know, with the intro of a first descent, um, I have a. Jeez, I have two first descent stories, maybe three different ones where they were always, you know, they're always just on the edge of disaster the entire time. We we went 
on a first descent down a river called the Rasoshna in 2007. I did it with three biologists. And at the end of that week, um, my Russian partner was having a competition with a guy who's long gone, Katya Maslov, from the area about the upper Yelovka and the tributary drainage. It just kind of, I don't know what was exactly going on with them, but um, we did this first descent down the Rasoshna. And then my partner wanted me to go, See, now look at this. That's a different year. That's 2003. I'm, I'm getting my years messed up and my stories messed up. So in 2007, three years after that story would have been, I do a first descent. We're going to go down a river called the Shishé. And the Shishé runs into the Yelovka River. And the Shishé is big. It's, it probably runs where we put in... 2000 CFS and it gets significantly bigger. So we, we fly up there. Um, it as well is, is inside of Kura missile testing zone. So we have to have clearance and everything. And we drop in. And as we drop in, in a big MI8, I have two docs, doctors and two biologists with me that are from California, Roger Bloom. And I can't remember his buddy's name. And so we land on the Shishé, on this big bar. Victor, my partner, says, go go catch some Dolly Varden for the, 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 the pilots. And so I go around the corner and start reefing in Dolly Varden as fast as I can off the riffles. And uh, for some reason, they took off without getting their fish. But as they take off, the one dock is fighting a big rainbow under the prop wash. And, you know, it's the first fish of his trip on Kamchatka, and it's a 27-inch rainbow on a mouse. Huge. So, so sorry, so you've flown in with a boat? We've flown in with rafts. So we with have. With rafts. Okay. With that's a motor. That's an integral part of the story. We have two rafts. And, right, two rafts. Like a, like a Zodiac-style boat with a motor on it? or. They're big rafts, you know, regular 18, 20-foot uh, pontoon rafts with frames on them. They're big. They're normal, you know, rafts you'd see everywhere. Okay. Um, and uh, But we have two staff members, Russian guys, Vanya and Sasha, me, and then four guests. So there's seven people. And so we jump into rafts and start heading down the river. The thing about the Shishé is it's kind of glacial and it had some color to it. In the first back channel that we stopped the guys stayed out on the main channel the four guys are all super good fishermen and i went and jumped in a back channel way in the back and it's one of the times like one of the few times on kept check i landed a 30 inch trout and didn't have anyone around on the back channel on the mouse this this whole back channel was just loaded with great big rainbows and I wailed on them all the way down the back channel, jump back out, get out to those guys. So we head down the river and everything's, you know, pretty kosher. Um, one of the docks, Dolly Baba, uh, he, he's a wild man, uh, general surgeon from Idaho. He, he would uh, he would take off and he was hard to control. And at the end of the day, we had a hard time. Boy, we had a hard time finding him. He's off on these back channels, right? And and can't find him. And I actually had, um, this is before my knee replacement, just a few years before I had my total knee replacement. 
um, and my knee is really bad. I chasing him off in the back channels through the tundra and the grass humps, the nightmare. At the end of the day, we're all exhausted. We park all the boats on a on a gravel bar, and Sasha and Vanya, Vanya's cooking, Sasha's taking care of everything. We're setting the tents up. Everything's great. We're drinking beer, catching lots of fish. It's going to be a great trip, right? Next morning, I wake up, and I'll never forget I'm in this tent, and I'm and I look up above me, and there's Vanya looking down at me. I mean, face to face almost. And Vanya speaks no English barely, or very little. And he looks at me and he goes, Will, no boat. Oh. I'm like, what are you talking about? No. <laughs> Will, no boat. I jump up, and I don't know who would be guilty. It might have been me. might have been them. I'm not going to point fingers. I don't remember. And we were all kind of cranked up at the time. <sighs> when those glacial rivers, it was a super hot day, and during the night, the water came up a few inches from the sunshine the day before, and away floated our boat, one of our rafts, untied, <sighs> unanchored, and in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> with seven guys <laughs> so do you, you still have one boat now yeah one boat but the okay. other boat with all the fly with all the un fly rods all the unstrung fly rods you know so like ten thousand dollars in fly rods and the beer is somewhere down river oh dear gone oh no that's a it's a big problem both those things and so so all seven of us load everything up on this this raft and I'm the only one who has any real experience rowing so but I also have a really bad knee and it's killing me and the seven guys all our gear on a river we don't know anything about nothing haven't been down it haven't fished it no uh, map no info no beta nothing just a blind yeah, run. And this is 2007 so you know the, I wasn't in the, middle of the Russian wilderness I was I had a GPS with uh, with a topo of Kimchak on it, and which probably saved our lives. Because one of the things that happens on all those rivers, since it's real mountainous, there'll be a point where it drops into the valley. And oftentimes when it drops into the valley, it'll start blowing through the trees. All of them do. And you don't want to be in a super heavy boat going through the trees in a giant river with overloaded... And so we went probably five or six miles looking for that raft, no sign of it. And, I mean, just the river's getting faster, faster. And I know at some point it's going to hit the trees and we're going to have big problems. So we get to a huge run, riffle, super fast water. And I don't know how close we are to the where it's going to get into the into the sweepers and the trees. So and we pull over to the side, and I call Victor, my partner on the satellite phone. And I explain the situation to him. And he says, okay. And about an hour later or two, we get everything all packed up, pull off to the side, and we about an hour later or two, in comes the helicopter. Thank God, right? And so we throw everything on the helicopter and start flying down the river on the deck looking for the, the raft. 
and maybe a mile below where we stopped, the river just braids into the trees with huge sweepers and just nightmares. Just nasty. Yeah, you're not going to, you can get, probably deal with it if you got two, you know, both rafts, but not. So there's our, there's a raft hung up in the very first corner of sweepers. Looks pretty good. We land. And as we're landing, one of the things that's true about the Shishé, because it's inside of Kerr Missile Testing Zone, it doesn't get hunted very hard. So the brown bears in that area are way less spooky. We're basically landing the helicopter over the top of this brown bear laying on the carcass of another brown bear. Jesus. And it just kind of gets up and wanders off. It didn't even run. And, and we jump out and have chainsaws and chainsaw the thing out and grab the grab the uh, the raft and decide that we weren't going to finish the trip out on the Shishé and went down to the Levia, which uh, I had fished. I've fished a number of times and actually is one of my favorite rivers and, and floated it and it's crystal clear and full of giant rainbows, but it wasn't a, an exploratory because I had floated it prior to this and uh, knew it. And so it wasn't an initial descent, but that initial descent was cut short. My so spot. so you were able to you were able to salvage the boat and the gear and everything and get everything out of there everything back no problem jeez man what luck <laughs> God <laughs> I'd rather be lucky than good man so you, there's so many crazy stories but you know the the satellite phone saved and that GPS could have saved our lives because that place was super super dangerous looking oh i can't imagine man i mean does does some shit go down on almost every adventure out there i had i had these guys last year we were we were floating rock creek during the salmon fly hatch i was guiding them and they had been to russia a couple of times and they were telling me this story about being on this big boat and they took a you know giant uh personnel carrier vehicle or something which i'm sure you're familiar with into some remote river and launched a jet boat and they were all on this boat and they came around a corner and this giant bear charged the boat and was mere feet away from grabbing the guy in my boat off the back of the boat and the dog jumped out and stopped the bear and startled him and and uh it was you know just harrowing story and they're like oh yeah shit like that happens all the time in kamchatka you know, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I would say stuff happens all the time, but not bear stuff. And, and, and you know, bear stuff is really kind of rare um, just because of the way we handle the bears on our programs. Um, we aren't going, you know, like, so on Osranaya where we have eight people a week with jet boats, we have at least two or three bear dogs at all times. There's guns in camp. And I mean, I'm looking at my office at uh, a bear tooth that was from one shot in 213 on that program because it wouldn't go away. I mean, we give them every opportunity to not get killed. And I mean, we shoot them with bird shot. We throw firecrackers at them. We do, you know, bottle rockets. We do everything we can not to kill them. <laughs> but sometimes they insist. Don't. 
Yeah, <laughs> the vast majority of Kamchatka, though, it's hunted. And and, and honestly, it's m- far more like the upper Nushigak where I worked a whole season and never saw a bear. I mean, you can go a long time in Kamchatka and not see a bear if you're loud and you make lots of noise. So I've, I've been on Kamchatka now for 20-some years, 177 weeks total time. Wow. And I've never carried a gun. I've never par- carried bear spray. I've been uh, charged a couple times. Um, been almost eaten once, but those were all my fault. They were all when I was alone. They were always when I was being quiet. There was some ulterior motive or mistake that I made. It, they were all those times. There were mistakes I made, not anything to do with the bears. I actually am a kind of a fan of the bears they they're reasonably benign especially since they've been hunted they know what the working end of a gun is a lot of them um so i i like to poo poo the 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 bear talk too much about kamchaka because i think it's overblown but it's possible you can deal with a grumpy bear i have uh, one of our guides caught one in the middle of the river swimming and it stood up and took a swipe at him, but it was 10 feet away. Right. And so I always take a lot of the stories with that. I hear about Kamchatka with a grain of salt because I have been personally involved and then heard them told later reasonably embellished. Right. Right. And yeah, I'm sure part of it too, is it's just, it's such a wild and woolly place that, um, you know, those stories just kind of become lore. You're probably more like, or as likely to get killed or attacked by a bear in Montana. Um, you know, I, I don't, know, I don't, I don't know if you heard, but there was a gal that got drug out of her tent and killed on the Blackfoot a couple months ago. A guide in Yellowstone died um, this summer. A guy just got mauled over in Ennis. Um, so yeah, I mean, bear bear encounters in Montana are becoming fairly commonplace. Um, well, and I think that that's a, you know, that's a little slightly different animal than what we deal with in Kamchatka. I mean, the, the, the thing happens, the bears will be kind of a nuisance. Um, one time in 2000, and speaking of another initial descent in 2014, I drove from our jet boat lodge on Azraniya all the way to the mouth. It took us four and a half hours by jet boat. And, there's a commercial fishing crew at the mouth. And uh, when we got there, I asked the guy, I said, can we walk up and down the beach? And this is in July. Really, the salmon are just starting. He's like, no, it's not safe. Those bears are patrolling the beach in July. But as those salmon come in, those bears follow those fish up the river. They'll be a little bit troublesome if they get there before the salmon for a week or so or a few days. But boy, as soon as those salmon show up, they, 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 they fish and then they become very nocturnal and you'll see them first thing in the morning. And maybe if you're running in or you're hanging out in front of the lodge at night, they'll come out and, you know, and they're very predictable and so much that they go to the salmon and then August comes around and they go to the blueberry fields, you know, we do fish one little tributary, which is a hike-in called Lamutskaya on Nazrania. And that's that can be very hairy a little bit. But when we go in there, the guys have guns and generally take a dog with them. Sometimes we don't take a dog. I mean, we had a dog go in there one time back in 
2007 with our American guide and the, uh, uh, some rich Russian guy was flying around, saw our big dog bucks running through the thunder, landed the helicopter and shot the dog. God. Thinking it was a wolf wolf from the air. What kind of dogs are these? Are they Karelian bear dogs or? They're Kamchatka Lycus. They're Kamchatka bear dogs. They look, uh, a lot like uh, huskies, and the Russians in Kamchatka will call them huskies. But to be correct, they are Kamchatka Lycas. They are a distinct breed on Kamchatka, and they run right up to brown bears, thousand pound brown bear, and bite it right on the ass. They are that's ab- insane. They're absolutely fearless. They're absolutely fearless, but they're great dogs. I mean, I, I've had such wonderful experiences with the dogs of Kamchatka. Chuk um, died a few years ago now. At 15, was definitely my favorite dog. I knew him his whole life. Um, he worked at the Azranaya every summer. Was just this, But he was prettier than normal. Uh, brown, tan, black, white. He was a spectacular animal. About 80 pounds, 90 pounds. Big for a Leica, uh, very stocky. And he would, I don't know how many times at the Azranaya, we would watch him fight with the bears from 50 feet away. Wow. Hair flying, the bear's hair. Jesus, that's crazy. Yeah, man, just absolutely ferocious. And run him off and get rid of those bears. And, and, and Chuk was so good. He was the best best bear dog of all time as far as i'm concerned and at 15 years of age a bear snuck up at him snuck up on him at uh the spring bear hunting camp early in the morning when chuk was asleep he was almost deaf and killed him well uh better than him dying of cancer yeah yeah it was a perfect way for chuk to go i mean we all were upset about it but I mean, there's no, that was the perfect end for that ferocious bear dog. I love that dog. And is that, is that Leica, like the optics company? Is it spelled L-E-I-C-A? Oh, I've seen it spelled a diff, bunch of different ways. L-I-K-A is the way I see it, or L-Y-K-A. And oh, okay. <clears throat> you can't find much information on them um, outside of Kamchatka and outside of uh, the Russian language. But uh, when you're on Kamchatka, they're they, they're very proud that they are a distinct breed, and uh, will will uh, uh, you get to watch them work, and you'll know, man. I don't know of any other dogs. There's some on my Facebook page. There's a uh, uh, video of our dogs drone video I took of them f- biting the bear on the butt while they're chasing it out of camp. Three of our dogs. Oh, cool. I'm going to check that out. You know, and and Kamchatka has a lot of bears for the one reason that I really care about it the most. There's a ton of fish there. And, uh, you know, it gets, I don't think people realize that it gets one third of the world's Pacific salmon spawn on Kamchatka. Man, it's a quarter to a third. I've heard different things, but it's hundreds of millions of salmon every year. And like 2019, um, the Azranaya had a huge pink run. There had to be 10 million pinks in the river. And boy, at the end of the season, those rainbows were the biggest trout I've ever seen in a river I as bet. far as length to girth proportions. Because all they had to do was sit on the bottom and just open their mouth and eggs would flow in. And uh, 
you know, and that, that is the thing about Kamchatka. The, the rivers are still in pristine condition for the most part and still produce huge natural reproduction of all the species of salmon, including cherry salmon on the West Coast, which we don't have here. But like the Azranaya has a huge run of kings, big run of chums, two runs of chums actually, uh, July and then a fall run. And uh, most of the rivers of Kamchatka will mirror this same thing. Big run of pinks every other year. Uh, Kamchatka has pink runs every year. It just switches coasts. So the Sea of Ohask side will have it on one year. And the next year it'll be the, the Bering Sea side. And so, um, and, and some of the other interesting things, it has 29 active volcanoes. And active volcanoes are really good for reproduction of fish from what I read because they give a lot of nutrients to the system and pH balance. So, you know, it's, it it really produces a ton of trout. Uh, I personally tell guys all the time, don't go to Kamchatka to salmon fish, man. No reason. If you run into some silvers or Kings that are chrome and good, great. Get after it. But you know, Alaska is so set up for, you know, salmon fishing. There's so many lodges and tidewater and real good access, whereas Kamchatka, there isn't real good access to tidewater almost anywhere. Most of the programs are farther upriver. So, but at the same time, the rainbows are the real show on the peninsula. Right. And, you know, there's there's so much about Kamchatka that people don't know, like, People still don't know that it has incredible dry fly fishing with hatches in every single river. Yeah, I remember you telling me that when we first met a long time ago, and uh, you were you you made you made that that point um, that that's you know very distinctive from Alaska fishing, whereas it's a bead game primarily. Now there's mouse in Alaska and streamer fishing and everything, but yeah, you had uh, you had laid it out to me that there's hatches and you can dry fly fish to these massive rainbows. Well, I've never, so in 21 years of guiding on Kamchatka, I've never tied a bead on a guest rod as an indicator bead system. I've slid them on in front of the streamers to make them egg-sucking leeches and things, but not one time have I bead fished. One of the funniest times I was with some guys, and they they fish Kulik a lot of times in Alaska, which is pretty solid bead fishing most of the season certainly August and September. And we were on the two yard, our float trip river in an area where there's a huge, maybe couple mile long King red, where there's just tons of Kings will, will be in there and they make those giant divots everywhere and the rainbows love them. And then one guy says to me, you know, I, I think we'll do better with beads. And I said, go ahead and try it, man. <laughs> and he puts on a bead rig and he can't dip that thing in the water six inches and not have a five-inch dolly, a three-inch salmon smolt, or an eight-inch rainbow. But nothing big. Nothing at all big. And after about half an hour, he had caught one, like, 15-inch rainbow. And I said, you know, man, they want meat. These are big predators. You know, put on a big streamer. And so we... You put on a big streamer and you start whacking them again. Uh, the bead is, it doesn't, it, there's too many small fish in the river to bead. 
and, and all of them. I, I just, there's no point to it. You spend all day long sure. unhooking, you know, standards. Right. And I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, why would you beat fish if you can do something different? Well, so for instance, in 2014, I started our program called Rainbows from Above uh, off a two-year base lodge. And me and four anglers and another guide fly out in an MI2 every day, little helicopter every day, and um, fish all these creeks all over the upper northern central part of Kamchatka. And there's three or four of them that we land on that are full-blown spring creeks. I mean, look like in the most beautiful spring creek you've ever seen and also get spawning salmon in them. And the numbers of rainbows, people wouldn't believe me. Um, there's one we found in 219. I call the Ali as my code name because I think it's the greatest of all time. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not bragging. I mean, it's so full of giant rainbows. But we get there, we land, and and you can see there's a in all the rivers of Kamchatka they have lots of trout in them. They tend to have quite a bit of buttercup, which is a plant species on the bottom that only grows in muddy, kind of soft two and a half mile an hour areas. So we land on this spring creek. It's all buttercup. There's you know where. There's gravel and everything as well. It's beautiful. And uh, we get out. And I, 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 unfortunately, that day had drawn the straw of taking the two 75-year-old guys. Well, my my co-guide, Yegor, gets the two 45-year-old guys who can really fish. Right? And by the time, I mean, we can see rainbows scattering from the air as we land. Big ones. Lots of them. Everywhere. And then we land, and I go up river with the older guys, and one of them says, can I try my mouse? I tied this special mouse. I'm like, okay, what is it? And it's a, it's a chartreuse cork bobber that he has coated in glue and palmered rabbit over. <laughs> chartreuse. Yeah, it's so it's got like this chartreuse hint, tint under it with the, with the, I said, go ahead, throw it out there. And, I mean, every cast, these fish are just pulling it under. They can't hardly get it down, right? But we caught a whole bunch of them until they ripped all the hair off of that cork bobber and they wouldn't eat it anymore. In the meantime, these young guys down the way are wailing on them. We catch up with them, um, and they're on this big corner catching trout. And I'm, they're like, yeah, we're going to jump on and go across. We fished here a long time. There's a bunch more. And I'm like, okay. It, I mean, it's a pretty good-sized pool, flat, Spring Creek. And the guys are like, yeah, can we try dry flats? I'm like, yeah, let's do put them on. And you put on a big parachute Adams, throw it out there, and it's doubles, one right after the other. And, hmm. you know, it's not little fish. You're all over 20 inches up to about 26, 27 that day. Yeah. And, and I mean, conservative, conservative. We hooked 500 rainbows that day. Because <laughs> even my guy, Yegor, caught 21 while we were sitting there watching him at lunch. 
and they're big. <laughs> and, you know, and we're using seven weights and 15, 15 pound tippet, all on a mouse, 15 pound tippet. So you don't, you know, it's not like you allow them to run way into your backing. I have my, you know, my reel cranked down. I can hardly hold on to it. And you've got big hook in them. And so we fight them fast and get them going and, you know, try and really mortality as low as possible. The biggest problem with the Kamchatka trout is they're so aggressive, they impale themselves on things. So so these Kamchatka trout, are, are they um, like genetically unique to Kamchatka? Are they similar to wild Alaska rainbows or how much do we know, um, I guess, about, about the, the history of them, the, their genetics? Okay, so that, that spring creek that I'm talking about flows into a river called the T-Gill, and the T-Gill is what the Russian biologists call the birthplace of rainbow trout, steelhead, and salmon. It's a really? huge system on the west coast of Kamchatka. Huge, massive system on the west coast. And it has one little village down at the mouth. Lots of rivers that run into it that are great. The fly shop fishes. The Sedanka is a famous one that's also a Tegil River drainage. The Parishnikova is another one they fish that's a Tegil River drainage. Uh, some of their uh, exploratory trips they do are on Tegil River drainages. It's a, it's a huge, huge system. And so the, the bi- Russian biologists would tell you that there's actually, they've done a lot of work, man. Those guys, they have every river they know what's in them genetically i don't know if they have a real uh, because of the way we operate we're so concerned about sport fishery so we know exactly how within reason how many trout are in a particular uh, system that's not something that's of interest to them so much in the past maybe it is now and i could be speaking out of turn but i do know like Igor Shatila worked for us a couple years on the Azranaya, and uh, you know the numbers of trout that we caught are astounding. Some I can't even remember the statistics, but it's just insane numbers of trout, right? And but they they say this is an American trout, and this is a Kamchatka trout, and there is a slight difference, and hmm, okay. there are different genetics in different rivers that I see. Um, like the rainbows in the Rasoshna River that we fly fly out to, <clears throat> it's a real rocky kind of fast, rather unpleasant river to wade. But the rainbows in it are giant footballs that are chrome and look like almost like steelhead, and will rip you a new one every time you catch one. Um, it, but just go over the hill to the next river north of there, the Kunhilik, which is a slow, brady, kind of uh, woody, log-jammy one. We don't fish all that often. Those rainbows will be kind of dark, more look more like a cutthroat with bigger spots and have cut slashes under their, 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 their gills and look significantly different than the ones right over the hill from them. Interesting. Yeah. So I, 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 I try and pay attention to what we where, what they look like in each system, and, and they definitely have their own. Uh, but some rivers, like the Azurnai, is huge, and we see both what the Russians call American rainbows and what the uh, uh, we you know they call Kamchatka rainbows, which looks more like a cutthroat. Hmm. Um, 
and somehow they may have not diverged that far from cutthroat. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but for sure they're uh, um, more than one genetic strain on Kamchatka, and they're totally native, 100%. Interesting. That's awesome. Um, some time ago, uh, I still have the hat uh, that you gave me, but you were involved with uh, the Kamchatka Steelhead Project, correct? Well, so I guided one season on Kamchatka Steelhead Project, 1998. I'm looking at a triple picture on my office wall of me, Scott Hall, and Ryan Lampers on the Sopachanaya in 1998. Can you tell me about that? Um, and and yeah, and and just about Steelhead a little bit in, in Kamchatka in general. So they're only on the west coast, on the Sea of Ohosk side. Um, and they, 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 biologists say they go from Oost-Bolsharesk, which is um, about straight across from Petropavlovsk, two-thirds of the way down the peninsula on the west coast, all the way up to Cape Utolik, which is a big cape that hangs off the west coast. So uh, there was a book written many years ago, and I can't remember her name, Marina something. And it was called The Steelhead of Kamchatka, Trisamon's Trout Steelhead of Kamchatka. And they put the, in the 70s, they put the Kamchatka Steelhead book on the Red Book, which is basically the Russian's ESA, Endangered Species Act. And that means that you're not allowed to molest them in any way or mess with them or or fish for them or eat them or anything. They're they're supposed to be off limits. so the Wild Salmon Center, along with uh, Pete Soverall and uh, the guys from Moscow State University, got together in the early 90s and said, hey, maybe we can cook up a way that we can sponsor biological research through sport fishermen. Um, and, and they still have the program up on Cape Utolik, the Snalvam, the Quachna, the Utolik River, um, I heard somewhere they're going to fish, the, not the Icha, uh, a different one. Anyway, the Sopachanaya that we fished on, no American, as far as I know, has fished it since 1998. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. Um, that was a year, now that he's passed away, and, I, and Tony Sarp, the owner of Cat My Lodge, was had cooked up that deal. Um through Wild Salmon Center and Pete's overall, and they ran that program 96, 7, and 8. And um, I somehow, because of people personnel quitting, became the manager in 98 of Tony's program over there, but I was nothing. It was just a, like a name he put on me so he could put the heat on me instead of himself. And he had a big battle. He had a big battle with the Russians, the outfitter about money. And I went into a meeting in Petropavlovsk with uh, Andre Sitsko, who was the outfitter's representative of Yan uh, uh, And uh, I can't remember the biologist who was from working for Wild Salmon Center. And Andre hands me the, the contract that Tony has sent to him to sign and and he says read clause 15 i'm like i wish i had a copy of this because it was so wild and i read it and it says for any complaint voiced by a client 
concerning food, lodging, transportation, guiding, Yana Coots International will reimburse Cat My Lodge Limited $1,000 per complaint. I read that and I tossed it back on Andre's desk. I said, I guess we're not steelhead fishing. He goes, this guy must think we're idiots, right? Right. And I'm like, yeah, he must. He thinks everyone's an idiot. And so what went down that then uh, we had two groups show up at the Japanova where we, Ryan and Monty Ward and I were all guiding for trout who were supposed to go to the Sopachanaya steelhead fishing. And they got off the helicopter and like, what am I doing here? I said, you tell me. Well, they, <laughs> the story that Tony Sarp was telling people around the planet was that there was a typhoon and that the camp had been washed out into the Sea of Ohotsk, some of it, and that they weren't sure where Scott was. And that's why they weren't running those two weeks. And I was like, and I'm like, well, I haven't talked to Tony in two and a half months, so I have no idea. Because this is before sat phone, sat phones were, you know, handy. So that's when we went and explored the Culpacova, which I uh, had a camp on for three years after that. Because what ended up happening at the end of that season is Anatoly Kovalenkov, who I really like, rest his soul, um, and Andre Konovalov, who is an interpreter, bring me out by the helicopter. Andre's leaving for the season or going into town. It's the end of the season. I'm leaving shortly thereafter. He says, tell your boss never to come to Kamchatka because we caught him every single week this year, stealing one client's money. So what he, Tony Sarp was doing was he was telling people, you know, he, he, he's telling the Russians, this guy is a group leader, a host. It's a comp trip. I didn't charge him. And then the Russians went up and would ask that comp trip, you know, what do you pay for your trip? Oh, seven grand, just like everybody else. What do you mean? Oh, nothing. They caught him all summer long for all wow. for 10 groups. And and so that was when I left Cat My Lodge's employee and started Kamchatka Expeditions. Gotcha. Um, and, and do you know what's the like present state of steelhead in Kamchatka? Are they imper- as imperiled as they are out here? You know, I, I don't know that they're imperiled because it's such a crazy, crazy far place to go. And so <clears throat> when we do end up going up to the Sobachnaya that year, we land the helicopter and I jump off and I'm like steelhead crazy, right? I grew up right. in boondogging and bouncing for steelhead. And I'm just out of my mind. I fish some on the West Coast. But I'm just ready. And I said, Scott, how how you doing? And he says, well, I kind of am going slow now because I'm using the bamboo spay my dad made me. And, you know, and I'm, I think I landed like 15 yesterday or a 12, something like that. Jeez. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We go out, we store our gear. And as we go over the first little depression, which is a King Salmon Red, Scott says, look over the side when I drive over that, and I look over, and there's just silver bars shooting out. We hooked eight in less than an hour. Ryan landed the only one. It was like an 18-pound chrome dime bright hen, and the, we didn't have guests. The guy from Colorado had canceled his week, and uh, we landed 41 steelhead the next day. It was wild. 
I mean, they were coming over the bars like sockeyes. So no one's fishing there as far as I know. The problem with the steelhead of Kamchatka is they're the last big chrome fish of the year, and they're very attractive to the poachers. And so they can be accessed by poachers, and, and it's hard to say what kind, like the Sopachinaya, it's hard to say what kind of shape that run is in right now. I, I know that the rivers at the Wild Salmon Center fishes up on Cape Utolik are going to be in good shape because there's people there all the time, and they patrol it, and they know. Um, but pretty much in Russia, if you don't have people there watching out for the bad guys, there's going to be bad guys there because it's money. And, uh, you know, it's interesting thing, though, because Kamchatka is definitely less populated than it was when I first went there. When I first went there, there was almost half a million people on the peninsula. Now there's just over 200,000. Huh. Why is, why is that? Oh, because it's hard to make money. It's the most expensive place outside of Moscow for food and stuff in Russia. Um, it's not expensive. It's not cheap living. It's kind of, you know, the city of Petropavlovsk is, you know, not great. It's, it's in the most pretty setting of maybe any metro, major city I've ever seen, but, you know, it was built by the Soviets. It's, uh, it's still kind of a dirty Soviet city. Gotcha. So kind of steering away from Kamchatka for a minute. Um, you're now a partner in a, uh, a lodge in, in the Bahamas in the remote uh, Gemento Keys, correct? Called Lost Key Lodge? Yeah. Wow. Is that a stroke of fishing luck, I'll tell you. Um, yeah, I just got super, super, super lucky um, to be involved with that. Um, I actually was asking, this lodge was built back in 207 and 208, ran 208, part of 209, and as a Ragged Island Bonefish Lodge, um, the guys at uh, Angling Destinations were involved up in Sheridan. One of the partners was really the guy involved, but he left. He quit the partnership and kind of flew the coop and left the Bahamian guy high and dry and a little bit burnt. So for Fico Wallace, my partner down there, he he um, runs Bahama Power and Light for the island. He's a super talented guy. I mean, just really, really talented carpenter. He can do it. electrician. I don't think there's anything he can he can't do. It. He's a really good boat mechanic too, engine mechanic. Um, and uh, so he has this little lodge there, and then a, a local neighbor here and. And Boulder said, hey, Feichel's interested. His kids are older now. He's wondering if you can, you know, if you'd be interested in, you know, I know you do a lot of booking yourself for Kamchatka. What, what about uh, going down there and checking it out? And so we went down. It was a wild adventure. We, we, uh, we uh, rode the uh, mail boat from Nassau to Ragged Island for three and a half days. That was one of the coolest adventures I've had. It was just awesome. But we also get there, run out from the harbor, around the corner, pull up, and there's two 10-plus pound bonefish swim by, and 10 minutes later, he lands a 10-pounder. Wow. 
Not a not a ill you know not an eight pounder not a nine pounder not a nine three quarter pounder a ten plus pound bonefish a real legit double digit and I was like wow so then we had bad weather some you know problems obviously it was we saw a bunch of permit and didn't catch any saw all kinds of stuff talked to all the locals it seemed pretty good so I went and took a group of young guys down there and made a movie for fly fishing film tour and uh that ran in 2020 but in 2019 in the spring of 2019 in may yeah it's funny what you think you know anyway we had really good bone fishing we caught a big permit saw some others but we didn't really have a good boats we didn't really know what we were doing but we did they did they knew way more than me actually uh rex massing elliot and uh Hall and these guys were just super salty, good young guys. I mean, it really, I'll I'll tell you, they're all in their mid to late 20s and they really gave me hope for the future of our country because they are super great guys, badass fishermen, hard workers, organized, thoughtful. Yeah, man, I really had a great trip with those guys to Ragged, and we made this little movie. Then, you know, I wrote an article, and then we book a bunch of people, and then COVID hits, right? Right. So we have to cancel all that 2020 spring. But uh, luckily, uh, the Bahamas just doesn't mess around. They're going to stay open. Uh, 94% of Bahamian GDP comes from tourism. They're going to be open forever it's never going to close again as far as i'm concerned and so uh last spring we went ran 10 groups through uh we're only doing four people a week though so it's real intimate small deal but i mean we immediately the very first group everyone in the first group catches a 10 pound plus bonefish jesus where can you do that and we're seeing permit everywhere wow and getting them to bite not landing but getting a few to bite um and we ran the whole thing the third week of the season we had a real experienced fisherman uh jim come he's fished all over the bahamas a lot a lot a lot he caught one that was right around 13 and a half pound bonefish and one that was just under 15 pounds and I don't know, man. Those are whale bone fish. And that this 15 pounders, or 14. So let's say a 14 and a half pounder was in a group of three, and it was the smallest one. That's insane. Yeah. So it's partially from what I can glean from people like Bjorn at Bonefish on the Brain and different people. It has to do with the fact that there there's a lot of deep water there. The flats aren't huge. And, you know, it's not like going to Belize or Mexico where there's a school of 10,000 two-pounders or one-pounders. You know, we're seeing when it was really good in March and April, we were seeing schools out of Davy Bay of 50 fish, but they're all 6 to 10 pounds. Right? And they'll bite. And, you know, really spectacular. I don't know. The difference between a two-pound bonefish and a 10-pound bonefish is a lot. Right. And so, so then we, we, we were told last, that same group with Jim, um, we've been seeing a lot of permit and Jim caught one on the flat right by the lodge. But then I had asked Feichel, I said, what about this spot up here? You know, you said there were permit there before. Um, 
So we drive up there and it's this area, it's right by the biggest cut between some of the islands. It's about a two mile deep, deep cut where there's a bunch of groupers and stuff. Really cool spot, but we stop the motor and start pulling around. There's permit on rays everywhere. We probably saw 25 permit in an hour that day. Jeez. It was insane. And so we it was maybe the best day in numbers wise, but just super consistent. Every time we go up there in that whole area north of us, there's a lot of permit. And so guys caught some, caught some big ones. You know, it's one of the things that, um, like, I'm leaving in 25 days to spend six weeks to do our fall trips this year. And, I mean, I'm going a week early. And just like Kemchak, when I go a week early, the week early is for one thing really only, and that's guide training. And for us to go out there and really work on our skills you know, positioning boats, getting everything, you know, right for the clients, getting everybody ready, making sure the boats are ready, but more of like, this is how we do it. This is where we go. This is, you know, the the right way to do it. Uh, we have a lot of people booked. I have one spot left for the spring. I have five groups for this fall. We're only going to take four people ever. And that's, and that's lostkeylodge.com. Yep, LostKeyLodge.com. And what was the name of the movie that uh, that came out in 2020? Expectations. Expectations. Um, and how about uh, your Kamchatka operation? How do folks find you there? So everything there is the best of Kamchatka. Um, you know, that has my email, my phone number. People can call me. I, I think people, you know, one of the biggest issues um, – I'm having with Kamchatka is, is actually um, like the email I got last night from a guy out of Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. He says, I take groups of men on high-end hunting and fishing adventures and have a group who would like to go to Kamchatka and fish next summer. What kind of availability do you have in July? Can you tell me about it? Blah, blah, blah. What's the cost? And how long are the trips? The one thing I don't think people realize is I'm not some shill on the phone. I guide. I've pounded nails on every single one of our walkways. I split wood for the guests if they need wood in their cabin. Um, I'm tying their flies on during the day. I'll serve dinner with the cooks at night. I'm not some shill on the phone. I eat it up. I want to be involved. And so what that allows me to do is I know every nook and cranny of our program. So if people want to call me, they can call me. I really encourage people to make a list, call, and, and to go to Kimchaka with me or my competitors. Listen, there's enough there for all of us. And I think it's a big mistake for people not to go see what really is the last rainbow, wild rainbow fishery, native wild rainbow fishery, like untouched, like it is. It's just nothing like it. Well, I was about seven days away from coming out there with you about a decade ago to film a TV show and uh, subsequently had to cancel that trip. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out when I can come out there and fish with you, Will. Um, I, I can't wait to see it, man. Appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me today. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. 
We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at the February The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.